Thanks, Bernadette. Yep, it is good to be back. And I did have a really good trip uh, to South Africa. I spent uh, some real quality time with my father who turned uh, 90 and uh, extraordinarily uh, he's in great great health. Uh, we went hiking up a mountain and, and down and it's like... Uh, and my dad stops halfway and he says, my leg's hurting me. And then he pulls it and he says, oh, my knee's just come out of joint. Let me just, and he puts it back. Oh, I'm good to go now. I'm like, what? <laughs> How's that even possible? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, always good. it's always good to be back and uh, good to see you all. And uh, yeah, this is terrific. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend coming up. And uh, look at these great baskets. It's uh, wonderful how as a church we... You know, we do this uh, every year, and we always uh, rely on folks uh, like you to find who in our community, who in our realm is in need, and how can we uh, at least uh, bless them. So uh, you've been a blessing both ways. Firstly, is trying to find appropriate people uh, that uh, need, would deserve or, or worthy of receiving a basket, and then the other side is a lot of you got together on Friday night and assembled all these baskets, and, and then others of you have paid and helped contribute financially uh, to make this possible. And, you know, we, I think we're running a little short this year in terms of funding. We try and make all our things self-financing. You know, the Christmas party, of course, we'd love it to be free for everybody. Uh, we'd love this to all be free. But we always ask folks, look, can we make each event uh, self-funding? But... I, you know, uh, you, you guys have been a generous church, and uh, I'm grateful that we can do these sort of outreaches, and we just do it according to the means that we have. But appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. I want to finish a series that we started uh, way back in September. It seems like it was way back. We've been looking at this, uh, the book of Philippians, and uh, the title of this whole series has been uh, Be Joyful. Uh, today I want to finish this series with the title, Joy in Being Content with What You Have. Uh, how do we have joy and how do we find contentment uh, where we are at and with what we have? Now, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, we've got to be realistic where not everything and every day is a joyful day. Uh, there's been a lot of flooding down in the Dominican, Repub Dominican Republic recently. And many of you have gone down on missions trips down to the Dominican Republic and, uh, you know, you've seen and know people down there and you're sponsoring kids down there. And, and uh, you know, our natural response is one of, wow, you know, how can we help? And being a distance away, we, we can't really help, but we can pray for them. On the other hand, uh, we're not joyful uh, all the time in every circumstance. Uh, there's seasons in our lives. There's seasons where we should be joyful, uh, and our dispen dispensation, as it were, as a believer, is one of joy. Uh, Christ uh, gives us hope, uh, and we have optimism in our lives. But that doesn't mean to say that every season of our lives is one of joy. Uh, Jim Chase came to me this morning and said his mom died this morning. Uh, the natural response is one of uh, weeping and mourning. And so let me just start out before we even get going with a quick prayer for Jim's mom. It's Jean Fairbroker Comier and for the Dominican Republic, for those that are suffering, you know, with flooding and being put out of their homes. Jesus, we just lift up uh, 
you know, people uh, in faraway places like the Dominican Republic, people that are close to home here, uh, Jim and uh, his family, and we just uh, you pray a blessing for him uh, during this time. And we lift up his mom, uh, who's, you know, now no longer with us. So, Lord, we just pray for your peace and your joy, which transcends all circumstances, that somehow or other you infuse in us uh, this hope, uh, this optimism, uh, even when we have to go through difficult, gloomy, difficult situations. So thank you, Jesus. We just invite your presence to be here now with us, which each person, no matter what place they find themselves in, they're here today, Lord, and, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would be real and personal and be a comfort and that this would be an uplifting service uh, to every person present, no matter what circumstance they find themselves in. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the things that uh, hits you when you go on a missions trip down to the Dominican Republic is poverty. You, uh, you go down there, and um, the very next thing that hits you is when you get to know the people, is how can these people be so happy when they're so miserably poor? You know, and it's just a, it's just sort of a, such a, it hits you between the eyes. Because you see the kids running around, they're hardly clothed, and yet they're laughing and they're, you know, joyful, uh, and they're far from being well off. And uh, in a similar way, uh, I was down in uh, this part of uh, South Africa, it's actually a new part of the country where my dad just moved to, and I'm not familiar with this area. Uh, it's the southeast part of South Africa, and the biggest city there is called Port Elizabeth. And it's just incredibly windy. And uh, I, I was pumping gas, and the wind was blowing at about 50 miles an hour, and it was just miserable. I mean, it's like you, you, you're sitting in the car, and, and the heat's you know, getting at you, the sun's out, and you're like really hot, and you get out, and it's just like freezing. I mean, 50-mile-an-hour wind. You know, we experience 50-mile-an-hour wind when a hurricane's either just approaching or just leaving. But like day in and day out, no. And so I spoke, spoke to the gas attendant. I said, man, like, does the wind blow like this every day? And he, and he just looks at me like, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, how come you're not miserable? Because I'm miserable in this wind blowing. And he's like, no, it's just normal. And I tell you, it's unusual just visually because you'll get, the, like, you'll drive along the highway and there'll be a fence. And the whole fence is just plastered with litter. I mean, the, the wind is just blowing every paper, plastic thing, and it's just stuck to the fence. It's like, this is like some sort of weird graffiti, or what's going on? No, it's just the wind, and everything's trapped there. It's like, this is miserable. But, you know, I, I, you, people get used to it, and the people there aren't miserable. The people there are actually quite delightful. And I want to look at this today, this, this paradox, or this tension, or this weird thing about uh, how we can be happy when things aren't, uh, when things aren't, pe aren't perfect. Uh, it's normal for us to want to improve our lots in life. You know, it's normal for us for, to want to, you know, improve our house, improve our job, uh, go up in our careers, uh, to make life better and to be better for our kids. That, that's totally normal. Uh, but on the other hand, there's some sort of line which we cross, invisible line, where in trying to do that, we can make ourselves really miserable. Like we can become so driven to improve uh, that we start losing 
the joy that we should be experiencing uh, because, you know, we're like, it's easy to be working like every hour of the day or to be so anxious or wound up about, you know, your job or your kids or uh, whatever it is uh, that you sort of hold dear to in your life. But how do we, how do we experience a, a joy uh, even when things aren't going perfectly or uh, as we're trying to improve our lot in life, whatever that might be, uh, how do we both enjoy our situation that we find ourselves in and, you know, move forward? Uh, are they mutually exclusive or, or, or not? Uh, there's, a, there's a proverb which uh, I think describes this pretty well uh, in that as humans, we just have an unquenchable appetite for more. You know, we want more stuff, increasing wages, bigger houses. You know, it's just like we just want more. And you, can't, you don't seem to be able to stop it. And when it comes to electronics or with our kids, it's like we want the latest, we want the greatest, it needs to be faster. You know, last year's is too late and it's too old. And, and you know, in technology, things are just happening so fast. It's like, you know, you think 10 years ago, man, electronic item 10 years ago is just like so obsolete. You know, so this need to stay current, it's, it's all consuming and it wipes you out. But Proverbs 27, 20 says this, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. You, you know, in other words, you can't stop death and dying and destruction. It's just like there's never enough death to stop death. I mean, it's just, it's just a constant uh, happening. And it's describing that our desire for things can be likewise, where it doesn't matter how, you know, the fact that you got the latest gadget or the latest car, it's not satisfying or satisfying for a very short time period. And then you're back on the treadmill. You need the next latest and greatest. So how do we become uh, satisfied? How do we live this life where we can experience joy uh, and be real about, you know, our circumstances? Now, of course, Jesus is a good... <laughs> the perfect uh, model for us. Uh, you know, if you just reflect briefly on Jesus' life on earth, uh, here's somebody who lived in, you know, what would seem like poverty or with not much. I mean, he certainly, you know, wasn't riding the latest donkey or <laughs> most purebred stallion. You know, he'd be walking with everybody. And his houses weren't like things you talk about, you know. But... Jesus seemed to be living a life that was really content and happy, and, and he just seemed to be a real fun guy to kind of hang around with. Uh, you know, he healed people, and he gave people hope, and, uh, you know, he was casting out demons. I mean, it was pretty exciting, I think, to hang around Jesus. I mean, it came to party. He's quite a party animal, turns the water into wine, and, you know, I mean, it's like... And yet, at the same time, it's not like Jesus was, you know, always just so joyful. I mean, he got angry you know, with the religious people and, and when society was being selfish and wasn't running the way it should be running. And he had a real mission to say, look, I love people, but I don't really love the way it's being abused. And, you know, he turned the tables upside down in the temple and he said a lot of mean things to people that were leaders uh, because he was passionate about, about life. 
But as a person, you would say Jesus was really joyful. And uh, he's a role model for us to kind of think about, okay, how do we live this life with all our real difficulties uh, and do it with joy? Let me switch this over here. I don't know, actually, if you know we experience this joy in Jesus, whether it's a gift that we get, uh, whether it's imputed to us, whether it's like something which is, um, you know, I don't know. But part of it is, a, part of it is we can do something about it. Part of it is it's like okay, we just got to be open to God and say, God, give it to us. We're not that able to and that smart to be able to sort this all out, to experience life in fullness, in joy, and simultaneously deal with all the yuckiness and up and downsides of life. We, we're not that great at it. So, um, you know, what I want you to get out of the sermon today is somehow other, how do you take whatever your current situation is, how do you uh, live in that tension of knowing that your current situation is not perfect uh, and that if you're breathing, you probably want something better or something more or you know, some improvement in whatever aspect, whether it be relationships or uh, career. I mean, you're looking for something to be better. Uh, how do you do that but simultaneously experience God's joy? In other words, you're not so overcome with your need that you're losing your joy. Uh, so I'm talking about that tension today. How do we experience the joy of Jesus? How do we be content with what we have and where we're at while simultaneously longing for something better? I mean, that's, that's the tension that we, we're living in. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just welcome your presence. God, we just acknowledge without you, uh, this is just a lot of talk. But with you, uh, and with you living inside of us, uh, you can shed hope and light, and you give us insight, and you uh, give us the sense that it's not always the same. Uh, things will change, and with you, they change for the better. So we just lift up this sermon today. I just pray you put some heat on my preaching, and uh, that it would lift up your people hearing it today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's uh, look at the closing part of this book of Philippians uh, as we finish out this series. And I want to read uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 11 and following. And I'm use, uh, using a New Living Translation. And it says this. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul talking. And uh, I want to remind you, as I've said so many times in this uh, series, He's sitting in jail, not exactly a place of, uh, uh, you know, not where you want to be. And yet, while he's in a place of discomfort, he is writing and saying this, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Okay, I just read that again. Not that I have ever been in need. Wow, sitting in jail. You know, I think he's got a lot of needs. Uh, you know, we know from this letter he's been cold. Uh, he's probably not getting the best food. Uh, he's starved for relationship. Uh, and he's saying, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned 
how to be content with what I have. I mean, there's, there's something really important for us to get here, and that is he's learned to be content despite the circumstances that he finds himself in. Now, if we can all learn that, even to some degree, we would be greatly, greatly helped. Let me just carry on reading this. Not that, I've ever, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live with almost nothing, or with everything. And then he says it again. I have learnt the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then this verse 13, which many of you have memorized. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, just a remarkable uh, a section here. And then we jump down to verse 18. He says, At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. You know, just a reality check. I mean, would you say, would you say in your life, could you make the same comment that Paul does? At this moment, I have all that I need and more. I mean, that would be a rare thing to say. You're just saying, you know, I've got everything I need and actually I've got more than I need. I mean, that's just not like, okay, that's why he's an apostle. You know, it's like, he's just different. But, but I am saying this, he's on to something here where we can, we can get the gist of what he's saying. And if we can work into ourselves, if we can spiritually be in tune with what Paul's saying, we can as well experience this joy despite our inadequate circumstances. That's the whole point. That's why this whole letter is so um, encouraging. If you've got a insert and you want to follow along with me, I want to make uh, three points. And the first one I want to make is uh, where Paul says, I have learnt. So in other words, this is a learnt behavior. And Paul has said it twice in this opening thing. He says, I've learnt how to be content. In other words, it's not natural. It's not natural to be in jail and be content. That's totally not natural. But he's saying, I've learnt. And in one way, that's encouraging for you and for me because it means we too can learn. And we can also realize that it's not natural. Like, we have to learn it. And if we apply some effort and some energy, uh, we can learn it and we can experience this contentment. So Paul says it twice in verse 11 and verse 12. I have learned. I have learned. And so we should too. But at the same time, I want to share a few verses here. Um, two from Ecclesiastes, some from Proverbs. But Ecclesiastes... Uh, here's a rich king, presumably Solomon, although there's some, you know, he doesn't actually say he's the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, but who else could it be that's experienced all this wealth and wisdom and whatever not? So, but the book of Ecclesiastes 2.8, it says this, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, 
and have had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Okay, now, hopefully we're not also desiring, you know, hundreds of concubines and all these things and all this money. And, but yeah, yeah, somebody had said, look, I didn't just dream about this. I experienced that. And then you just carry on a few more verses and says, but it's all meaningless. You know, which is the frustrating thing about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the most wonderful book to read, but you've got to like, it's not a book to read, just a few sentences. You want to kind of read that book in total. But he's like saying, look, I've experienced all, I've had all the money, I've had all the privilege, but at the end of it, I was still empty. It was kind of like meaningless. It's like I'm still looking for more. I'm still searching. And it's so relevant for us because we are the same place. I mean, you know, position ourselves as Americans from where I've just been, South Africa or the Dominican Republic. I mean, like, we've got it all. But it doesn't mean, like, we're totally so excited and joyful and fulfilled. It's not anything but. Uh, we struggle like everybody else. But in Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says this, And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life is indeed a gift from God. I mean, that's just such a well-balanced theological statement. You know, yeah, enjoy the blessings of God and enjoy good health to enjoy the blessings. And, you know, this is a good thing. Uh, it's a gift from God. And then Proverbs, <laughs> this is a, a proverb which often has just been one a, a reality check for me. Uh, it says this in Proverbs uh, 38 and verse 8 and 9. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And then it says this, For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And, you know, this is such a truthful statement. I mean, folks that are wealthy, their dependence on God is greatly reduced. And it is much more difficult uh, to share the gospel of Christ with wealthy people than what it is to share the gospel of Christ with poor people. And it's not like they don't have the same needs. And it's not like we shouldn't share the gospel with both wealthy and poor. All I'm saying is wealthy people have a lot of other help that they can lean on to satisfy their, you know, needs. It doesn't take away the empty space in their stomach. It doesn't take away like King Solomon was saying, you know, I had it all, I've experienced it all, I still have an emptiness. That's absolutely fundamental. Only God can fill that, that space. But, you know, having money and having, you know, luxury at your disposal is very helpful. I mean, you need a vacation, go away and have a great vacation. You need a massage, go get a great massage. You know, you, you, your clothes are falling off, go buy new ones. You know, it's nice to have money. Your car doesn't have to break down every day. You've got one that lasts and actually goes. You don't worry about, like, will I make it to work and back? It actually gets you. You don't even think about it. You know, that, that's nice. Much better than suffering. But on the other hand, people that are in need have learned, like, okay, I'm dependent on something greater than me. I need God's, like, help, uh, you know, finding job, finding food, finding, you know, I just need help. And then, not only that, they appreciate it when God actually comes through. And they recognize it. 
uh, we're often wealthy folks will just say, no, it was my own smarts. I was just so incredibly smart. I pulled off this deal and, you know, yeah, I don't really need God's help, although, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of help somewhere. So, yeah, God help me. But, you know, I'm just really, really smart and I, I can just figure it all out. No, no. There's a sense of saying, I'm not that smart. The world is really complicated. I really appreciate if God guides me and leads me and, you know, it's a whole different way of thinking and a whole different way of, uh, of living. It's being dependent on God and at the same time uh, being happy. You know, we have to have a starting point when we think of our lives that God loves us. He's not angry with us. And as God loves us, uh, our job and our delight is to try and live in step with God. To experience that love of God and the, the fullness of what God has for us. It's not like God is really mean and he's not like really wanting to, you know, dispense, you know, good things to you. No, he does. He's super generous. He's gracious. He's loving. And uh, he loves us. So our, our challenge is to like figure out, God, how does this work? And how do we know you? And how do we how are we sure that we can hear your voice? And, and how do we know that you know, you're directing us? That's our uh, challenge in life. That's, that's why we do church. That's why we need each other's advice. But again, I uh, want to refer back a little bit in chapter 4 because there's another phrase which comes up twice. Uh, and that is, the Apostle Paul says this, Then the God of peace will be with you. The problem is this. Uh, just when we think we've got this great formula, and we say, okay, uh, the God of peace will be with me. What is the then? Uh, what did he proceed that with? And uh, I want to look at that. But he's saying, blah, 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 then the peace of God will be with you. And we should desire the peace of God. So, what is it that he's saying? Well, he's saying this in uh, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 4. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You know, here's the sense of, here's somebody, Apostle Paul, he understands that God loves him. Even though he's sitting in prison, prison he can experience this love and this joy. And he has the sense of rejoicing. And then he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. So in other words, in this one, if you like the formula, it says, don't worry, tell God what you need, thank Him for what He's done, and you know, you'll experience God's peace. And then verse 8, he's got a different formula. It says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and, receive, and have received from me, everything you've heard and seen me do. Then the God of peace will be with you. In other words, you know, the first one, he's saying, do this and God of peace will be with you. Second one, he's saying, do this and the God of peace will be with you. What I'm saying is, there's no formula. You know, we, we need to try and take God's word. We need to digest it. And as the Apostle Paul is saying here, it's not good enough to just know it. 
you actually have to put it into practice. And that is a lot more difficult than what it seems. And so uh, that leaves me to my next point. If you're filling out the blanks in this thing, our strength comes from Jesus. Our strength does not come from our own smarts, our you know, wealthy parents, our incredibly great connections, uh, as great as all those things are, uh, our strength comes from Jesus. And uh, when we realize that we are dependent on Jesus, uh, it's very helpful. And so that's why many of you have memorized chapter 4, verse 13. Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's that sense that, you know, when we're in a difficult situation, when we're uh, uncomfortable, when there's something happening in our lives which we don't choose for, uh, choose to happen, or, you know, a period in our lives where we need to walk through that's not what we want, we can get comfort in saying, Jesus is my strength, and He will strengthen me. And there's something unbelievably optimistic about that because it's not dependent on us. What's our, our role is to cry out to God and say, God, I'm dependent on you and you will get me through. And man, that is just so freeing. And it's not like, okay, I've got to first prove myself. I've got to first like be this great person and then I can access God. No, I, I can come as I am and say, God, you just love me. I, I, I thank you that I'm like far less than perfect and yet you love me and you will give me the strength. And many of us, have hung on to those promises in difficult circumstances. God, your strength is sufficient, and I can trust you. You are the one that gives me strength. It's not, you know, I trust me, and I will get me through my uh, situation. No, I trust you, Jesus. Uh, the last point I want to make uh, in, in this thing is this. Faith that God will do it in your life. There is an element here that we need faith. And faith can be a little bit of a mysterious thing where two people in the same circumstances, uh, one person would be filled with faith, have optimism, will sense that God is present and God can get them through. And another person lacks faith and they're sort of, the way they would read the situation is, well, I know it'll work for somebody else, but for me, God never comes through for me. You know, God doesn't know me or, you know, I'm just inferior or, uh, you know, I haven't done enough prayer or I forgot to read my Bible for the last day, month, year. Therefore, you know, God just not. And, but the person that's reading God correctly is saying, no, uh, I have faith. I believe in God and God loves me and God is going to come through in my circumstance, even though the situation looks bleak. I mean, faith is something that we walk in. Sometimes it's really, really logical. Sometimes it's not logical, or sometimes it's obscure, or sometimes it's just we've experienced God's goodness and love in the past, and now we apply it to the situation that we find ourselves in now. And it's that love and that goodness of God that rises up that faith within us. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and yet we are called to be people of faith, I mean, it wouldn't be faith if we knew the outcome. It's faith because we don't know the outcome. But despite the situation, we trust in God. And we say, God, you're so good. I can put my trust in you. 
And in faith, I know it's going to work out the way you want it to work out. That's a whole different way of living to the way of living which is not faith-filled, which is saying, I've got the strength, I can do it, and I will do it, and I'll force my way up, you know, to do it. I mean, that's an anxiety-filled approach because you're vulnerable. A faith-filled approach is saying, God is strong. God has all the answers. God is all knowledgeable. God is all powerful. I can depend on God. God is the person that I'm going to lean on. So I want to end there. And we'll come back at, at, at the end of uh, putting, you know, doing some worship and uh, put this into practice a little bit. Uh, but why don't I just uh, have the worship team coming up and I'll, I'll just, let me just uh, close this way. God, I, I just acknowledge that each person in this room today is coming from a totally different uh, place. Some are in a really good place. Uh, some are you know, facing things which are really exciting and they're uplifted and they're feeling really encouraged. Others are nervous and they've got big decisions. Others feel stuck and they're in a corner. But Lord Jesus, I just lift up every person in this church today. I just pray that they would experience your joy and your peace and your love. And Lord, that you love them despite whatever mistakes they may have made. So, Lord, I just thank you that you are a God that forgives and a God that's loving. And we just embrace you today. And I just pray for your blessing upon your people. In your name, Jesus. Amen.